0: Take all of that who luck, take all of that what luck, take all of those learnings and um, and networks, and see if we can drive a lot of creative energy and IQ into solving big problems. So today it's VTE and Uncle. I don't know what it'll be tomorrow, um, but I certainly feel empowered to to jump in the ring and and try to help
1: out. You're listening to Parallax from Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. Here is your host, Angkor Kalra, MD. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Parallax. Um, This is um, actually a a great episode. Um, And, you know, I I may be biased, but I've known Sean for several years now. And, um, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to be. A fellow at BI Deaconess Medical Center is, is Sean, um, you know, alongside folks like Brian and Yuri and Chris Maduri. I, I don't know if all of these fine gentlemen are listening, but, but if you are, you know, um, as someone who was a resident applying for fellowships and subspecialty fellowships, you were my heroes and you, you remain my heroes. Um, but let me formally introduce our audience to Sean. Uh, Dr. Sean Chakrabarty is the Vice President of Medical Affairs at Inari Medical. Uh, but, you know, before that, um, uh, an interventional cardiologist extraordinaire and trained at the Bethany Deaconess Medical Center, my alma mater, his alma mater. And um, I, I could not be more happy to have him as a guest on this show. So without much further ado, Sean, welcome. And thank you so much for doing this for us.
0: Thank you, encore, and, and uh, far too flattering and undeserved introduction. But uh, likewise, I, I couldn't be more delighted that we get a chance to catch up, not just as um, BID alums, um, but but also as friends, as you mentioned. Um, and you know, all, all these folks, this sort of lineage of uh, people that have trained together—it it really is a lifelong bond in a lot of ways. A lot of the names you mentioned like yourself are, are leading very successful careers and making a huge impact on on patients in cardiovascular disease so um, love making the connection and and thank you so much uh, for the invitation
1: oh no my, my absolute ple- pleasure so you know Sean I, I think what I mean I, you know so a lot of our audience are fellows in training early career um, or even your know, early to mid career or you know cardiologists from you know, all subspecialties. And I, I think your career, um, you know, to me at least has been exemplary in, in how successfully you transitioned, uh, from being a busy clinician and an interventional cardiologist to, to industry. And, um, I, I think we're, we're going to talk, we're going to really, you know, dive deep into, into that aspect. But why don't you tell us about how it all started for you, you know, for, right from why you wanted to be a doctor. What inspired you to pursue a career in cardiovascular medicine? Um, how did BI happen? I, I know you you did your training in, in Michigan, and Ramaji is your mentor, and you know is someone who inspires me on a daily basis. But wh- why don't we start off from where it all started for you?
0: Uh, absolutely, Ankur. And um, and you know I think I've been I've been thinking about about uh, doing this podcast and. Um, what sort of messages to convey about my career to date, which is still, I think, a, a young career in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, nonlinearity is something I keep coming back to, um, that, you know, uh, yourself, many other folks that are successful in our field don't always follow a straight prescribed path. And I think, uh, not, not having fear, um, to, to veer off the line. Uh, is really critical. Um so I'll I'll start at the beginning but but to frame it you know I thought I'd bring up a uh, concept that uh, one of my more recent mentors Seth Bill Oserian uh, who's chief medical officer uh, formerly chief medical officer at Abimed now vice president uh, at Abimed. Um he, you know he pointed me to a, a podcast by a gentleman named Jim Collins um who's pretty well known in the business world maybe less known in the medical world but He's written a number of books built alaska to great um and he did an episode of uh, the knowledge project which I'm, i'm sure you're familiar with as a fellow podcaster uh called keeping the flywheel in motion and he talked about this concept of how you know um things that create pathways and elevation in our careers are sometimes due to what we consider luck but it's often not luck at all it's kind of the opportunities and bedrock that we lay for ourselves manifesting and uh, the reason I bring him up is he focuses not necessarily on what luck, in quotes, what luck, but rather who luck um, in terms of people you come across in in your life and in your pathway that give you guidance, um, that invest in you. And as I go back to the beginning with you here, um, that concept, I, I hope, stands out quite a bit, that I've had tremendous who luck in my career, including meeting you on court um and so you know um uh going back i I came from an engineering family um my father was a civil engineer i have one older brother who's a chemical engineer uh, or studied to be a chemical engineer at university of michigan and then went on to do environmental engineering and he's currently consulted in california Uh, but that was my roadmap and um and i actually studied chemical engineering at michigan that was my beginning um, and perhaps uh, is part of the reason I'm, I'm so interested and continue to be interested in technology. Um, but like many others, um, you know, my interest was in biomedical engineering and in bringing new technologies to advance medicine. I was going to pursue this as a master's discipline. Um, but but early, you know, as a young man, uh, and I'm sure this occurred for you at some point as well. You know, you get this yearning um, to have maybe a closer human connection, uh, more more tangible impact, you know, uh, less, less far-field goals and more short-term goals, things like, hey, I'd love to take care of a heart attack patient and see the look on their face and their family's face when you make a difference. And so I um, had my first bout of people luck when I just blindly Uncle or, distributed my resume uh, at the University of Michigan Hospital in every department just to see if I could land a summer gig, you know, and, and get a closer look at what it would be like to pivot to medicine. Um, and my resume at the time, by the way, was, you know, I was a baker at Einstein's bagels and I worked at the fine arts library. Right. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't the most robust CV, uh, at the time. Um, but only one person got back to me, um, of the maybe 30 CVs that I distributed and it was a cardiologist. So there you go. Right. Um, his name was Sanjay and He was uh, really interested in vascular medicine and was doing some really innovative things at Michigan with regard to pollution's effects on vascular biology, something he remains an expert in. Um, but he was looking for a, you know, a young, hungry student who could work in his basic uh, science lab in conjunction with a pathologist. He wanted to correlate vascular reactivity via ultrasound to genetic polymorphisms in the ACE and ENOS genes. Um, I'm kind of impressed. I still remember the project so well, <laughs> um, but it was very immersive. So he took me on for a uh, summer and I worked in his lab. I got to practice phlebotomy. I got to assist in ultrasound tech. And most importantly, um, I had my second bout of hooluck by, um, by shadowing his, one of his cardiology fellows named Michael Schmidt, who's currently in practice in Chicago. And and Mike was infectious um in terms of his enthusiasm for cardiology and patient care. And there were nights on Cor where he would call me up and say, Sean, I got a STEMI, you gotta come in. And I could just throw in a pair of scrubs as an eighteen year old kid and roll into University of Michigan Hospital and uh witness firsthand this extremely tangible human connection uh, that physicians get to make. So it was really no looking back for me from there. Um, I pivoted to medical school. I attended uh, Wayne State University in Detroit um, and, uh, you know, pursued uh, other interest in medicine at that time, thought about surgery, thought about emergency, but came back to cardiology. And then, as you mentioned, um, uh, landed a residency uh, at the University of Michigan, along with my wife, who I met in medical school. Um, she pursued OB-GYN, and we both went to Michigan. Uh, and, um, wow, what a world-class institution. You know, I'd always been a Michigan fan. Uh, grew up in Michigan, so, you know, you pick one or the other, Michigan or state, and I uh, I was one of the, the maize and blue folks for sure. And as you mentioned, I... Um, I had a chance to connect with, with Kim Eagle and, Matthew, and, and really learned a lot about the world of clinical research, um, beyond the bench, uh, and getting more towards clinical outcomes, um, and did some really phenomenal, exciting work, um, looking at national registries and metrics related to door to balloon times and STEMI. This was, you know, um, in the early 2000s. So, um, when we were still optimizing a lot of our strategies around STEMI cure. Um, and, you know, you can imagine what it was like to work with those individuals. Um, so another round, perhaps, of who lucked, uh there, Encore. Um, and then, I, you know, I can keep going. I, <laughs> uh, I, I was able to um, uh, obviously make it over to the BI Deaconess along with yourself. Uh, and geez, I mean, the, the things that were being done there at the time, I mean, I think back to the leaders at the BI, uh, during the time of my fellowship, uh, when you were, you were in residency and we're talking about people like Michael Gibson, who was a research mentor for me, uh, and truly someone who invested in me and gave me a ton of guidance. Dwayne Pinto was my fellowship director, um, you know, Jeff Potma was doing early TAVR studies and early Taver work at the BI at that time. Don Cutlip was running the lab in the Harvard Clinical Research Institute. Um, it was just a really incredible place to be. And again, consider myself so lucky to work with that group. Um, and you know, Mike, well, Mike's been on your podcast. <laughs> um, and who's more Prolific and productive than than Dr. Michael Gibson, right? So the opportunities he opened up to a fellow that was uh, willing to to dive in headfirst with him is what really propelled my career in the direction that I, that I believe it's taken now. You know, one that's very focused on clinical research and outcomes and transforming disease states and thinking big. You know, thinking big and and thinking about large enterprises beyond um, the patients that you can. See in, in clinic on a day to day basis, um, so I hope that frames sort of well that that phase of the career. And I'd be happy to chat a bit about um, the industry transition, um, but um, but wanted to make sure that um, I sort of answered your your question and and um, uh, and that early career phase.
1: No, absolutely, you absolutely did. And you know, as you were um, describing your beautiful journey, uh, I was. Uh, you know, listening in awe and smiling. And, um, you know, I was sort of counting my blessings because um, so many of the names that you mentioned um, are the names that um, I happen to work with and and uh, so, sort of, you know, my who luck. Uh, so I was I was counting on my who luck and um, I was, um, you know, remembering the times that I've spent with them. And, uh, you know, in folks like, you know, Dr. Gibson, who I couldn't agree more, couldn't be haven't seen a an individual who's uh, you know as prolific as Dr. Gibson is you know when it comes to designing you know multi-center um, just worldwide trials and publishing in the New England Journal or you know some of the <clears throat> similar high impact journals and really has had an impact you know when it comes to how we look at patients with TIMI score you know how we how we do myocardial blush grade uh, you know how we manage antithrombotic anticoagulant therapy. I mean, you know, so many of the, so many of these steps and and decision making uh, pivots that we consider for granted in modern medicine uh, are are some of the work, uh, some of the works that he's done. And uh, so, and in so, sort of to be, um, you know, to have trained with him and know him in person is just is like is incredible, right? Uh, and then you know, uh, extrapolate the the same to you know Jeff Popma who. Who now is at Medtronic, but was at, at the BI at the time when we both were there. He was my program director. He took over the helm from from Don Cutlip, um, who who recruited me to BI. But again, just incredible individuals, um, you know, to have worked with and trained with. Uh, and then Brahmaji, you know, continues to inspire so many. Um, remains at Michigan and is at the helm for Cirque CQO. Uh, so he definitely has an indelible impact on on outcomes research in cardiovascular medicine um so you know again it's it's hoolak and I, I couldn't agree more with you it's it's a blessing and you know as you were taking these names one after the other you know i was just smiling and counting my own Hulak. so thank you for taking me down that that memory lane uh, but you know moving moving along when um in your career uh and you know maybe that maybe this transition came to you more naturally because you have an engineering background And, you know, it's it's sort of always inspiring to see people with uh, different backgrounds um, in medicine, you know, like yourself. I mean, you have, you know, the other person who has a similar background like yours is Farzad Azimpur, who's now with Edwards Life Sciences and is one who I would like to get on the podcast. He knows about that. Uh, But, you know, um, when was it in your career as an interventionalist that you decided okay you know if if an opportunity presents itself i'm going to explore that more, given my background in engineering
0: yeah it's a fabulous question it's one I get often encore I mean you'd be surprised um, or you probably wouldn't be surprised at how often uh, I get a reach out from young interventionalists or or not even even mid career interventionalists that are strongly considering industry, but have this sort of um, fear of loss of identity or or even more so sort of a sunk cost fallacy you know where they feel geez i've put in all this postgraduate training time am i just going to hang up the white coat um and i was definitely one of those people i mean i didn't leave fellowship with any plans to make an industry transition you know within the first 10 years of my of my postgraduate career that was definitely not (laughs) in the game plan for me um but you know, use the word opportunity, and, and that's exactly how it presented to me. So, you know, after the BI, uh, I took a, a practice position in Southern Virginia at, at the Centerra System in Norfolk Hospital. Again, um, people are the primary influence, and uh, there was a physician named Ron McKechnie who was a Michigan trainee as well, who was in practice there and thriving. Um, and so, I joined them um, and had a, a just a lovely. Um, uh, career path there, um, you know, both in terms of uh, the clinical need in that area. I mean, so much coronary disease, um, as well as helping to build systems there around STEMI, something that I, um, again, was able to work on from a research capacity, but now able to implement along with other great partners in the Virginia Heart Attack Coalition on the ground level. And and also dove into a lot of advocacy work. When I was there, I started working with the American Heart Association and took a board position locally and and um you know, a lot of a lot of great work there in terms of advocacy at the local level. Um but you know, I never really let go of my connection with Dr. Gibson, was continuing to work on clinical trials remotely and he, as you know, went on to to take over HCRI and what is now the BAVE Institute. Um so really continues to be at the forefront of that interface between academic medicine and industry and new technology. Um, you know, Dr. Gibson, I, I, uh, I failed to mention that during fellowship, talk about investment and guidance, you know, he's, he funded and supported my master's in public health at the time uh, to really dive deep on clinical effectiveness and learn what it was to, learn, to run large clinical trials. And these are all skill sets that you acquire, right, Uncle, Ur? But you don't know how they're going to manifest in the future. So here I am, about uh, four and a half years into a practice, making a life for myself in Southern Virginia, in a lovely community, at three small daughters at this point, and um, and an opportunity prevents, presents presents itself—an unexpected opportunity uh, where where I mentioned before, Seth Bilazarian, uh reached out regarding a position at a company that I was already quite fond of, Abumed, uh, which is based in, in, in the Boston area, greater Boston area, uh, an area that's familiar to both of us, obviously. Um, and they were looking for someone to help lead a disruptive, um, practice-changing, randomized clinical trial, uh, which you're familiar with, called STEMI-DTU, um, being led by a doctor named Kapoor at, at Tufts Medical. So here's the next round of people luck, right? Seth and Naveen come into my life and completely disrupt my game plan <laughs> and uh, present an opportunity for me to come on at an elevated position as medical director for a really innovative medical device company and also dive completely headfirst into the world that I felt like I was preparing for with Dr. Gibson, which is large scale device clinical trials that are practice changing. Um, And um, so I had some big decisions to make um, earlier than I thought, you know, in terms of um, leaving bedside medicine as my primary job and identity to um, working in in medical technology and industry, um, uh, completely changing my day-to-day interface and giving up a lot of what uh, you and I love about medicine, which is being at the bedside with the patient, uh, in order to perhaps reach a a larger group, you know, make a, make a bigger imprint imprint than potentially I can make uh, from day to day in clinic. Um, and in this case, that would be, gee, maybe revolutionizing the way that we treat heart attacks and helping people live longer and with a better quality of life through, through a really innovative clinical protocol. So it wasn't a decision that, that came easily encore. And it takes, uh, it takes a good deal of, um, reflection you know uh, personally and professionally uh, to say hey look this opportunity is here I could pass on it um, and still continue a great career trajectory otherwise uh, or um, go for it right and um, that decision revolved around a lot of reach outs to people I know and trust some of the people we've already talked about you know I definitely called Mike <laughs> to get his take on things. Uh, I spoke to other interventionalists um core that have made industry transitions. People like Craig Thompson, um, who worked at Boston scientific for a number of years before eventually actually coming back. Um, and then we have live at NYU, uh, Dave Um and uh, someone that I think we'll talk a bit more about um, who's also been on your pad- podcast, but Chuck Simonson. Um and when you talk to these folks, it becomes very apparent that there's no identity loss here. You know, you're still a cardiologist, you're still serving cardiovascular patients and advancing cardiovascular disease, but it's through a vehicle of innovation and one that I think many of us are equipped to jump into and really elevate. Um, so I, I owe it to Seth and I, I owe it to Abby Ahmed to have introduced me to this world a lot earlier than I ever anticipated uh, jumping into it. And yeah, as you mentioned, you know, engineering background, public health background, all of these things um, probably informed um, not only uh, the reach out from their side, but also ultimately um, my decision to to jump in HUD first. So that's how I find myself, um, you know, in my late thirties um, taking an industry position.
1: Yeah, no, I uh, yeah, so so incredible. Yeah, r- really, um, uh, what a beautiful story and. You know, you were mentioning the the pieces, um, you know, on engineering and public health. And, you know, I was I was thinking, you know, just through my spiritual practice and my spiritual background that, you know, someone someone else up there was writing the story of Sean Chakrabarty. Right. Um, you know, OK, I'm going to introduce him to engineering. I'm going to introduce him to an opportunity in clinical effectiveness and public health at Harvard School of Public Health. He's going to practice interventional cardiology and take care of patients at the bedside and know what it's like to be um, a physician taking care of such patients in in acuity and, um, you know, at at one of their most vulnerable times in their life, in their lifetimes. And then that's such a perfect concoction for someone like you to be in a position where you are right now in life, right? Like who would, I mean, I I probably could count on fingertips people with, with a background similar to yours. Like, you know, who would have a background in engineering, public health, and, and, you know, m- medicine and interventional cardiology. So, um, you know, I, I mean, congratulations to you and, uh, you know, for both, you know, having such a, a successful career path, but more importantly, for having the ability to, um, first off, you know, keep uh, improving your skill sets and keep, um, <clears throat> you know, imbibing more skill sets, more diversified skill sets, that's one. But also, you know, seeing uh, the opportunity the way you saw it and, you know, making those decisions and, you know, moving forward uh, into uncharted territories where people, uh, you know, from the more conventional background be like, you know, I'm not sure if this is for me. And, you know, I became a doctor for a reason that was to take care of patients. But, you know, like you said, I mean, I mean, with, with an opportunity to design clinical trials which move medicine forward, which advance the care of patients, um, and which can transform not only the care for patients that you touch, you know, through your own hands, but through the work that you've done through industry or through clinical investigation, you can now essentially transform the care for millions of patients across the globe. And that is such an incredible opportunity if you think about it that way you know, like I was part of this innovation that now has transformed the care for millions across the globe. And you know, people like yourself, um, you know, can say that. And uh, you know, that's that really motivates me. You know, the the magnitude, like you said, the imprint, the magnitude of your imprint um is 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 very inspirational for me, you know, as I as I think about my career and what I want to do in life also. But no, thanks for sharing your, your journey with us and, and your story with us. Uh, let let me ask you a couple follow up questions because I was thinking about these as as we were t- as, as you know you were describing your journey and one of the questions is in this transition, what has been um, the part that you feel you've lost? And you know maybe the answer to that is you know Ankur I, I don't think I've lost anything and that's great, but what is the one part you think you may have lost? and the the second part to this question is what do you think has been the most empowering um so if you can answer those questions for me
0: absolutely and and great questions so you know I, with any big decision i think there are sacrifices you make um i mentioned earlier in my story that one of the reasons i pivoted from engineering to medicine in the first place was you know, to get away from more far-field goals, albeit very big impact goals, right? Um, to get a closer to connection, to get a more tangible impact. And, um, you know, I tell people now um, who ask me about about making that transition and working in industry that um, there are highs from what you do from day to day, from what our colleagues do from day to day, that I don't achieve on a day-to-day basis anymore. There, there's no equivalent in my current world core of going at, into the hospital at 2 a.m. Um, in an emergency setting with the patient descending into cardiogenic shock from a large LED occlusion and performing a simple, elegant, beautiful procedure that leaves the patient essentially with no pain, no discomfort, and a healing heart within minutes. Uh, and then walking out of the, the cath lab suite and telling that family that, you know, they saved their family member's life by, bringing to the hospital by calling 911 and uh, a culmination of of efforts from number of people right has resulted in this small miracle occurring and and leading to decades of impact on people's lives there's no replacement for that for me now right I, i could i might crush a Zoom meeting or i might you know i might uh have a really great um outcome from a research call but um, you know, that's not something I'm experiencing on a day-to-day basis. Now, as I've gotten a little older and got a few more gray hairs, those far-field goals are more apparent to me and valuable to me. And you mentioned the impact of, of work. And, you know, as, as I was listening to that, uh, all I could help think was, geez, I'm a spec. I'm a small participant in a much larger cog and a much larger machine that brings new technologies that create more miracles, right? More miracles like the STEMI patient I just described. Um, but, uh, but you know, if, if you were to ask me what I've lost, that's at the forefront of my mind. And I think physicians can relate to that. And I think for anyone making a decision to uh, evolve their career or, or move in new directions, scary directions, that an upfront catalog of what you're losing is a very nice, honest exercise to take. Um, so you asked me what was most empowering as well. And, uh, you know, continuing my story, I, um, as you know, I've more recently linked back up with a fellow BI colleague, Dr. Tom Tu, who I hope you've met. Um, he's he's uh, a brilliant uh, operator, and but also a brilliant innovator. Um, and after spending some time with Dr. Chuck Simonton, who's now the CMO at Abumet, and learning about his career path and the various ways you can affect our field through research, through um, you know, regulatory relationships through innovation. Um, I became aware of some of the things happening at Inari Medical, which is where I am now. Um, and uh, what's been empowering for me is feeling like now, a few years in uh, to this world, um, I can move to perhaps an earlier stage place where uh, there is more of a free form, disruptive um, attitude and, and approach towards big medical problems. And Anari is a place where uh, they're diving deep into a disease state of venous thromboembolism, as you know. something that the cardiologists are starting to get very interested in, right? Um, and, you know, this is a place where people are thinking big. Um, but they're, it's in many ways a nascent state, you know. venous um, thromboembolism is um, Another frontier, you know, in in cardiovascular medicine, Um, we've seen previous frontiers with MI, which we you and I talked about earlier on this podcast, and stroke, where, you know, previous treatment modalities have been bed rest and anticoagulants or bed rest and lytics. Uh, And we've seen those disease states revolutionized by technology and skill and training, um, creating systems, uh, uh, diagnoses, um, uh, getting the right uh, physicians and skill sets in front of these patients to perform um, catheter-based procedures in both cases um, to really improve outcomes beyond what they've been before. And BTE, and specifically maybe pulmonary embolism, is very much at that precipice. And so Tom, the CEO at NRA, Bill Hoffman, had this big vision you know, to take a relatively elegant but simple technology um and revolutionize a disease state and so here i am feeling empowered um, to use your word uh, to jump in this with them and uh, take all of that who luck take all of that what luck and take all of those learnings and um and networks and see if we can drive a lot of creative energy and iq into solving big problems so today it's VTE and Uncle. Red, I don't know what it'll be tomorrow, um, but I certainly feel empowered to to jump in the ring and and try to help out.
1: Uh, yeah, no, th- this is excellent, and I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, venous thromboembolism, um is uh, is a menace, um, and uh, particularly with the advent of the pandemic and you know COVID nineteen, uh, and we know as cardiologists that venous thromboembolism is one of the many manifestations of COVID-19 infection. Um, You know, it it has um, taken lives prematurely and um, is is something which sort of has been not at the forefront because we had, you know, problems, big problems like MI care that we needed to grapple with. Uh, But, you know, now that we're optimizing ourselves with MI care, you know, the big frontiers are you know, like you mentioned, venous thromboembolism and cardiogenic shock. Um, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done, you know, in both these fields in order to, you know, progress care and, you know, save more lives and impact lives of millions of patients um, around the globe. Uh, so you know, congratulations to you on, on your work uh, and your forthcoming work. And um, I, I really hope and pray that the creative energies um, and the networks and the connections that you've been able to, uh, you know, uh, build and, and foster for all these years come to fruition in coming up with a solution for Venus from and I, 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 that would, that'll be fantastic. Um, uh, and I, you know, I think, you know, hopefully universe has put you at the right place at the right time for you to be able to move forward with this. So congratulations. Congratulations again on this. Um, you know, a f- few last, last few minutes, uh, on the podcast. Um, and you know, I've, I've really, Thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's been it's been phenomenal to listen to your journey uh, and what you've been able to accomplish thus far. Um, what is the one advice you would have for, or may, you know, maybe more than one advice uh, you would have for uh, fellows in training, particularly interventional fellows in training, um, because you know that is obviously close to both of us, um, and. What is the other, so an extension to this question is, is there anything you would say to the younger Sean who was distributing his resumes to physicians at university of Michigan? So those two questions.
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, So, you know, in in terms of advice, I've been again thinking about this ahead of and anticipating um, our podcast today. And you know, geez, it, it, this is advice not that is generated from me, but rather from all of those mentors and people you accumulate over life that pass wisdom to you. But one is think big. Um, and even, geez, I mentioned Bill Hoffman, the CEO at NRM Medical. He, he just said this to me last week, and it was again a wake up call like, why aren't we thinking bigger? Um, and I think as it pertains to younger folks in training or maybe even my younger self, I'd interpret that also to not limiting the scope of your career to just what your perhaps senior partners or uh, predecessors have done, right? Um, The world's evolving rapidly and um, uh, there's no reason to ever put limits on what you see your career being in the future. Um, Second is, you know, and and this is more pertinent to fellows than maybe my younger self, but remember that you're, you're always a physician. That can't be taken away from you. And as long as you've dedicated your life to the service of your patients, you can achieve in many different ways. Um, so don't fear the loss of identity, no matter, no matter what path you take. And then I'd like to come back to, you know, the very beginning of our discussion today, which I've also thoroughly enjoyed, by the way, on Gord. Thank you so much. Um, which is maximize your who Um, and how do you do this? You do this by investing your time and your energy. And people that'll teach you and elevate you, and I can't emphasize that point enough. Um, It's—I'm calling it luck. We, we both know it's really not right. It's—it's um, it's really a dedicated effort um, to, to forge those relationships and accumulate mentors. Um, so you know, if there's something to really put your time and energy into, I would—I would take stock of that. And then, lastly, um, and this is definitely one that I would tell my younger self. Um, that at times I think I followed, but at times maybe I didn't, which is when opportunity, when an opportunity presents itself, at times you need to proceed fearlessly and, and be bold. Um, and those are, that's going to mean there's failures. Um, but, uh, ultimately is what can lead to great success. Um, so. Those would be sort of my my short catalog of, of learnings that I would I would pass on to your audience um, and to younger folks in training, uh, and, and those continue to serve me well, and and I, I use those concepts honestly on a daily basis, uh, especially now.
1: Yeah, no, great great message, and I just you know want to bolster or reiterate what you said. Well, you know, first off, um, I think, and I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, it's, it's more than just luck, right? It's, it's what you make of it. Uh, that that's, that's what I always uh, tell myself, um, you know, cause people be like, okay, you've been to X, Y, and Z places. Um, but you know, we know a lot of people go to X, Y, and Z places, and there are only a select few who keep elevating themselves, you know, time and again. And those are the people who really make something out of the opportunities that life presented them. Right. Um, so, you know, in, in, so if, if we were to take your career, for example, it's, you know, how you foster the, those relationships with, uh, with, with Seth or with Dr. Gibson, um, you know, or with, or with Jeff uh, or with Dr. Cutlip, you know, the, uh, it's, it's, it's an, it's, it's an effort. It's, it's, um, it's not, it's not flattery. It's a genuine effort to get to know that person more. It's a genuine effort to carve out time to work more with, with these people who, uh, you know, you think um, you've established a connection with and identify yourself with, or uh, the kinds of things you want to do in your life. Um, So it's more than just who luck. I think it's, it's what you make of it. Like you said. Um, And then the, the second um, thing you mentioned, which, uh, you know, I resonates with me personally. um, And so I'm just, I I think it's, it's important to sort of stress it, uh, 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 on the podcast and and I think of it in a little different way uh, and and you mentioned about being fearless and being bold uh, and being um uh, being mindful that there there may be failures um you know I sort of think of it as like success is moving from one failure to the other with the same enthusiasm and um, so you know if you haven't really lost your enthusiasm, you know you are going to meet with challenges, which some may define as failures, but really those are just stepping stones for the the bigger picture, you know, so that's sort of the far field vision of what you want to accomplish. And as long as that is clear and right in center, then, you know, everything else will, will just become a stepping stone or a challenge that at least that's how I like to think of it. And that's something that that sort of that thought process has, you know, sort of kept me going through the the various challenges that I have faced, you know, in my career thus far, um, but you know, no, this was this has been amazing. This has been a trip down the memory lane for me personally, uh, also, Sean. So thank you for bringing all those beautiful memories of BI up uh, again. Uh, you know, I, I just I vividly remember the hallways, the cat labs, uh, the Baker conference room. Um, you know, where sort of I've I've personally had a chance to interact with you you know, the, the fellows, uh, the, the cat fellows, uh, call room, the, the room where we did our reports, what have you. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's just been, and those are such beautiful memories for me personally that whenever I think of it, I, I smile, I have a smile on my face. And, and that's something which just comes to me naturally. Um, any closing remarks for the podcast, Sean?
0: Um, just a word of thanks to you. I think, you know, what, what you're doing here to, to bring voices uh, throughout our field, um, from academic to innovation to teachers, I think is is just so tremendous, encore. And and I've obviously been following your career closely. Um, I think you've taken a page from the Mike Gibson book in terms of integrating art and uh, disciplines outside of just pure medicine to really enrich your career and enrich your message. So, um, just a big thank you to you uh, for the opportunity. And um, you know, I, my closing thought would be going back to um, the concept we just. Um, sort of um, crystallized in your comments, which is um, to proceed fearlessly and and be bold and and get the best return on your luck that you possibly can.
1: So thanks again. No, thanks, Sean. Talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast produced by Radcliffe Cardiology in association with makeadent.org. We aim to bring you a new angle of all things cardiology every second week. Review us on your favorite podcast app or send your comments or questions to podcast at ratcliffe-group.com. To view the series, head to Radcliffcardiology.com forward slash podcasts forward slash parallax. Thanks for listening.